0: You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at Chargebacks911.com. This episode is from an interview with Tracy Crate, the director of card scheme finance at Chargebacks 911. She was interviewed by Scott Pinsker on FinTalk. Welcome to Thought Leadership and the Fintech Revolution, brought to you by the brilliant people at Chargebacks 911. I am Scott David Pinsker, and I'll be your pilot while we take a trek down the Fintech wormhole. For today's show, we're going to do a deep dive with the Chargeback Queen, none other than the great Tracy Cray, formerly of the Royal Bank of Scotland, currently the Director of Card Scheme Finance for Chargebacks 911. And very early in our interview, really early on, you're going to find out that our regal chargeback queen had a royally unbelievable life journey. Like many of you, I knew and admired the chargeback queen from afar for her her mind, her background, her knowledge, her career, her dedication. But during our interview, when you learn more about what she overcame, what she endured and ultimately conquered, I think you're gonna admire her for her courage too. Okay, I'd like to begin our show with an open-ended rhetorical question. Are we defined by fate or do we make our own fate? And by that I mean, are we in a completely chaotic and random world with life nothing more than a gigantic crapshoot? Or are we part of a, a, I I don't wanna call it a divine plan that would automatically evoke religion. But every now and then with very special people, you kind of get the feeling that fate mattered more than probability. Come hell or high water, one way or another, they were gonna make it. (laughs) How else can you explain a teenage girl with no home living out of her car with her pet goldfish, shattering every glass ceiling and becoming the chargeback queen of Europe. It shouldn't have happened. Logically, it couldn't have happened. But fate told logic to take a hike, and I am delighted to be joined by the great Tracy Cray. Thank you, my queen, for coming.
1: Well, what an introduction. Thanks, Scott.
0: I, I am but a commoner, but I am looking forward to speaking with you on the run with a pet goldfish I mean when, when I when I heard that about you I I didn't know if I should imagine like a, a cute kid movie you know with like Gilbert Godfrey playing the part of the goldfish or if I should be completely horrified about the thought of, of a girl living on her own like that
1: yeah sadly when, um, when you look back they... on it
0: and 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 you know you, you think about your journey are, are I mean are you like a little bit horrified or, or do you look back with the fond memory i mean it's such a, a weird tale
1: so i suppose it's just one of those things that built my character um the facts you know uh being thrown out of home at 16 um just me and the goldfish um finding um a park near where i used to work that had like a, a wendy house that uh, we both lived in there um I mean the one good thing about that was I was always first in the work and I was always last out because it was much warmer there than it was in the park.
0: <laughs> you were literally parking there right? I mean you were you, you you didn't let people know what you were going through and and if I recall right you were you had a shower you had to get ready in the morning like you know you didn't have the luxury of having your own home to do that. You were no. a teenage girl trying to make it in the world working at the bank. I mean do, do, do I do I recall correctly or you know, I the mental imagery that I have of—I mean, I—I I, on one hand, I really admire you for for having done that, but on the other hand, you know, I mean, I, I've got ch- children that are only a little bit younger than than what you were when when you went through that ordeal, and I, I mean, I, I got to remind them to to wash their hands after brushing their teeth or going to the bathroom, and and there's no way they could be living on their own like that.
1: Well, I suppose it was a case of having to. Um... Um, You know, you just have, you learn to survive. Um, Luckily working at the bank, um, we did have all shower facilities and everything there. So um, I was able to go and use all that. Um, And then I I found a a laundrette that was um, down the the road. So I used to be able to get my clothes washed um, Hmm. and I used to actually hang them up in the bathroom at work to try and dry them off over the radiators which uh, did cause a couple of questions at times. But, uh...
0: <laughs> did anyone ever ever catch you or, or, you know, did you find anyone that you could open up to about, about what you're going through?
1: Um, okay. I stayed very quiet for a long time. I suppose I was quite embarrassed. Um, but a, later, a bit later on, um, one of my close friends, um, who I'm still friends with now, um, she actually realised what was going on Um, And I went to go and stay with her and her parents uh, for a couple of weeks until I actually managed to sort out um, a bed seat in the end. But at the Mm. time when I started, when I was working, I didn't have enough money to be able to pay a deposit to actually get somewhere to live for a while. So Now, if, if you need companionship, do you recommend a goldfish? Oh, the goldfish was amazing, (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah? Listened to everything I had to say and never argued with me. (laughs) Never talked back. No.
0: (laughs) Gosh, it's just such a a, a shocking story to me. I mean, when you were alone at night and and you and the goldfish, I mean, were were you afraid or, I mean, did you have – or maybe you didn't know enough to be afraid, like maybe – you know, you were young and, and in a way invulnerable because you couldn't really think about the, the bad things that could happen.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it was just a case of if I thought about it too much, I probably, oh, well, I don't know what I would have done. Um, but those thoughts just didn't go through my mind. Um, all I was concentrated on was making sure that I got to work on time every day or actually getting there ahead of everybody else so I, at least I could have my shower. <laughs>
0: And, and you began uh, at the bank over 30 years ago in, in the pre-internet era, era where you know the, the kind of the, we have a daily routine where you wake up in the morning, you look at your phone, you check the feed, you, you look at your email. What, what, what was it like when you began at the bank?
1: So I mean we only actually had one PC amongst, I think it was 50 staff at the time. Um, everything was all on printouts, on ENC cards. Um, everything was extremely manual. Um, and yeah, you're right, we had no mobile phones or, or anything like that at all. Um, social media didn't really exist. Um, the most you had was just the, the chats in the office or if anything went up on the notice board.
0: And, and back then when you began, um, how, many, how many women were there in a leadership role at the bank?
1: Um, when I first started there, there wasn't any. Um, None? No. Wow! So, but what was so nice about, I suppose, my progression is that I started right at the bottom, um, worked my way up to the top, um, and I was always known as the the homegrown manager. The fact that you know I hadn't come in from other areas, I'd worked my whole career um, actually at the bank and worked my way up doing every single job you can think of um, within, especially within the chargebacks arena. when i first started in chargebacks there wasn't even that sort of term as such there wasn't the rules as we know now um there was like intra chargeback rules for the um, access banks and then you had separate rules for visa with barclays and the only time you actually made reference to a rule code was if it was an international transaction so it was much later when the actual full realm of the chargeback rules came into play.
0: You kind of watched it develop from uh, from a more nebulous kind of idea to being this, you know, financial juggernaut that's devouring revenue and and wrecking the lives of merchants. It, it's it's got to be kind of a weird growth that that uh, that you got to you know watch from the ground up. And and I would imagine that if you were in the bank and you had to do everything from you know, popping open the drawer to getting the the paper ready, to the mail, to 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 then moving forward, and and you're dealing with the spreadsheet and the numbers, and having to go to the green bead on the abacus and 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 really you know learn your way around it. That you have a built-in advantage over the glorified MBA crowd that I'm sure you had to compete with eventually. You know, the people that came from the quote-unquote right college and the right financial education, um, and they might have have the the academic training, but I would imagine that there's a day-to-day reality that you're not going to pick up when you're in a room with a prof, but when you're there putting your time in, uh, developing your trade, learning your craft every day, and you really need the job more than a lot of people, uh, might need a job, uh, given, given what you overcame, I, I, I can only imagine that those MBAs got devoured by you, that, that they just, I mean, like I, I, I I'm a college boy, you know, I, I kind of have the college background. And I, you know, I knew when I entered the real world. When I'm dealing with people that live the trade, that breathe the trade, that knew the trade, that watched it develop, you, you can't learn that from a book.
1: No, I think one of the, the main things is that um, I suppose I learned to be streetwise, um, and I didn't have you know any. I didn't go to the, the college or university. I wasn't ever given that opportunity, um, so I became very streetwise. Um, and it also meant, I think, that I got a much better understanding um, of people of all walks of life. Um, so much later on in my career, with uh, obviously with the amount of staff and that that I had, um, I found that I was able to relate to them a lot easier than some of the other management team there at the time that, that had come in on a graduate scheme or, you know, they had four or five A-levels, um, but they'd never been in the real world. Um, They'd Hmm. always been very cocooned, whereas I suppose I had a much wider exposure to all different walks of life, which I think helped me when it comes to leading the team. You feel like you could relate to people better? I think so. I'd like to think so, yeah. I mean, I'm extremely proud of my team. Um, So, yes, I'd like to think that I can relate to them on their level. I mean, I'd never expect them to do anything that I'm not prepared to do myself.
0: Well, you you've you mentioned to your your team to me when we when we talked initially, and one of the things I found beautiful, uh, your, your team, I, they, I mean, when you when you tell me about them, they they, they don't seem like a team; they seem like family. Uh, they've been with you for a really long time, and and you know you've watched them grow up, you've watched them begin a family of their own, um, and you know I. I I would imagine that when you're dealing with chargeback, if you're dealing with fraud, you're de- dealing with banking, having a team that you can rely upon, having a team that you nurture, that you help develop, and, and you know they have your back, and you've got a different kind of faith in them. But I can only imagine that that would make the, the work that you can create, the, the the benefit that you can offer other people. I mean, how, how can you beat a team with no team? <laughs>
1: I mean, they are incredible. Um, And I was extremely lucky when I come across to Chargebacks 911 um, that, you know, my core team took a leap of faith and come with me. Um, We all have our own strengths and weaknesses, but you put us together and we are really formidable. Um, You know, there's years and years and years of experience and expertise when you put us all together. So, that they are really incredible. And as you say, I mean, a lot of them started straight from school um, and, and now they're married with, with children. Um, and I do feel we are a family. And they certainly well, look after me as well.
0: <laughs> no, that's, that's really cool. And, and on top of it, I, I loved how, you know, you all began at, at, the, at the bank together and then you left together. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, in, in, in today's work climate, a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll begin a job over here and then you move over there and you lose track of people and they might appear on your phone on a, you know, a birthday reminder on, on Facebook or whatever, but you know, you, you don't really, you don't build that relationship because the economy today can make it difficult to build a long-term employment built relationship. It, it, it can be tricky, but you know, you, you talk about a leap of faith of them leaving with you, um maybe they didn't view it uh, a a movement of faith. Maybe they viewed it as a movement of of logic that, you know, uh, why wouldn't we follow the queen? (laughs) You know, I mean, clearly she knows what she's doing. And, you know, the the company might change. You might go from the the Royal Bank of Scotland to chargebacks 911. um, But the core work that you're doing um, the information that you have in your head that you need to, you know, regurgitate and develop and and fine tune and and have it appropriate for whatever problem uh, a merchant or or anyone dealing with the bank might be going through, you know, I, I got a feeling they probably didn't view it as a leap of faith. They viewed it as we're following Tracy Cray because she hasn't steered us wrong yet.
1: Well, that's lovely to hear. Um, I'm not not quite sure what they'd say, but um, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I I do know that um, you know we we are very, very close um, and watching them grow even more now within Chargebacks 911, um, that's made me really proud of them. Um, you know, the fact that they, they were brave enough to come with me, um, you know, a lot of them had been in the bank for 20 odd years, um, you know, and then just walked out and, and, and come across with me. So um, it, it's been an amazing journey, I think for, for all of us, for sure.
0: Hmm. Now, being at the bank for, for a good three-decade run, you're a cute little puppy, right?
1: Yes. Teddy. I was hoping to keep him quiet, but uh, he's woken up. Fingers no, crossed. I, like,
0: I, I think it's kind of cool that uh, you know, you're know you brilliant with numbers to the point that we call you a queen and and you can get outrun by a little 10-pound uh, puppy. I, I find that, I, I love that. <laughs>
1: yes, he, he rules the
0: roost, that's for sure. <laughs> I can tell he's a happy boy. I'm, I'm curious, though, that if you were at the bank for for that three-decade run, I mean, opting to leave, you know, why why would you leave the bank that you grew up in to, to join another company?
1: So, I, to be honest, I always thought I would be carried out of my box out of the bank because um, I really enjoyed my job. Obviously, you know, I had the, the fantastic team there. But the bank started to change. Um, they were making decisions that I were I just wasn't comfortable with. Um, and if you ask anybody, I've never been a nodding dog. So if I don't agree with something, I will say so. Um, and I suppose that's one of the things that, that the staff would probably say about me, in that um, I would always go into battle. Um, you know, whether it was to help them, whether it is something for the customer, um, I was always willing to go against the grain, I suppose, and go against the the, the sort of higher management. Um, and they were making decisions that I just wasn't comfortable with. Um, and it got to the point where I wasn't enjoying my work anymore. Um, I enjoyed the social side and, and, you know, all the friends and that that I had there. But I wasn't getting any personal satisfaction anymore. Um, and it was breaking my heart um, in terms of what was happening to you know the whole um, departments that were there. so when um, you know Monica and Gary offered me the chance to come across to them um, and set up the uk office, I can't lie. I was absolutely terrified. Um, i am I'm not a great one <laughs> to change. I'm not a great one for change. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it was a huge decision for me, um, but I've never, ever looked back.
0: Wow, very cool. I'd love to hear about how you you originally met Gary Cardone and Monica Eden Cardone.
1: Uh, So I was speaking at a a MasterCard conference, um, and at the time, I think Gary and Monica thought I actually worked for MasterCard, um, and I was, as usual, outside having a cigarette, like I do, um, <laughs> and was chatting with Gary, and and was saying about that I was really nervous because I was about to go up on on stage, and that is not my comfort zone at all. Um, I, I, I'm absolutely terrified when it comes to doing things like that. Um, but he was giving me some different tips in terms of what what I could do, and um, so. They came in to actually hear the actual session that I was doing. And I think at the time there was about 350 people there. And I was so nervous that my legs were shaking. Luckily I had wide leg trousers on, which does help. So people can (laughs) see that. But I needed to do something to try and relax myself. So I asked everybody to stand up, which they did. I asked them to clap their hands as loud as they could, which they did. And I asked them to sit back down. And then I said, there was two reasons for that. The first one was to check that they could all understand me. And the second one was that the head of MasterCard now owed me a hundred euros because I bet that I could get a standing ovation before I finished. Um, but it was just enough to settle my nerves. And then I proceeded to present on how I had managed to shut down over 1,200 nutraceutical companies and payday loan companies that had been the bane of issuers' lives um, with real problems with, with customers having recurring transactions. And apparently, Gary turned around to Monica and said, that woman's just wiped out our business. Who is she? <laughs> um, so that was how I met Gary, by announcing that I'd shut down nearly a load of the. I, what I didn't know at the time was companies that obviously you guys were um, doing business with. Um, Gary, I understand, spoke with someone to say, you know, who is Tracy? Um, and they said, well, she works at the Royal Bank of Scotland, but you'll never get Tracy because she'll never leave the bank. Um, and that was probably five years prior to then when I did actually then come over. So
0: was kind of a five-year courtship kind of getting to know each other kind of uh, no,
1: thing that happened? No, I, we, uh, Gary reached out a couple of times um on LinkedIn um and at that time I, I never went on LinkedIn I mean I, I had no need to I was so you know, 34 years at the bank quite happy there um so I didn't really do the LinkedIn I had a profile on there but didn't really do much with it um and I know Gary actually did send me a message on there, but I don't think I picked it up to about 10 months later. Um, and then it came about where um, I was speaking with, um do you know Steve Warner? He actually works for us. Um, he was uh, the orig- one of the original sales guys in, in the UK. And um, anyway, spoke with him and the rest was history he said let uh, Gary and Monica know that um, I was ready to move um, and I come across it was an amazing amazing journey
0: well, that's really cool uh, for, for now there's no truth to the rumor because I heard through the, the pipeline that you're thinking of pushing Gary Cardone and Monica Eden Cardone out and changing the name of company of the company to uh, to Craybacks 911.
1: <laughs> that true? No, definitely not. <laughs> All
0: right, I got bad information here then. Uh, so uh, uh, the for day, for you get- leaving the bank, I I I got to think. I mean, I I've never. My name's Scott. I've never been to Scotland. Um, but I I, I would I would I imagine the name, you know, what it would be like at a bank called the Royal Bank of Scotland. And then I, you know, I know Chargebacks 911. I know the the people that they have and and the attitude and the you know, everyone kind of pitching in and you know, on Friday you show up in t-shirts. I I, I can only imagine that it had to be a different culture altogether, going from the regal bank uh to chargebacks 911.
1: It was a huge culture shock. Um, And I remember actually Gary saying to me um, that I'd been institutionalized um, and I didn't really understand what he meant at the time um, until I come across and then I I got exactly where he was coming from. But I actually loved the new culture. Um, I mean, one of the things that I love so much about the company is the passion that's with it. Um, especially, you know, like Monica, she has the same passion, the same drive, the same goals um, that I always had in terms of chargebacks. And coming across to Chargebacks 911, and obviously latterly now doing the FI 911, more for the financial institutions, it's actually given me the chance to do all the things I always wanted to do and to start really educating Whilst I come from the issuer environment, it's I wanted to do mo- so much more and understand the merchant side of things. I, I worked with acquiring as well um, when I was here at RBS because we had the two together. But I want to clean up the whole value chain of, of chargebacks. Um, I want people to really understand and play by the rules. Um, You know, that's not to say that I haven't broken quite a few rules in, in my time um, hmm. and maybe circumvented some of the chargeback rules as an issuer. Um, but I suppose that was one of the other reasons why I set up the UK experts group, because I used to chair the European um chargebacks group. We did the UK one because it meant but that... You, uh,
0: there, there's from- the European
1: group that you founded
0: too, correct?
1: Yes, yeah. So yes, it was it was good to actually you know bring bring all the experts together um, where we could actually start looking much more at you know cleaning up um, and getting a very more of an even balance. Um, you know the, the the chargeback rules they've always tipped one way and the other. Sometimes it's more issuer favour, sometimes it's more acquiring, um, and at the end of the day, the merchant really wasn't given that much um, thought it was very much was and acquirers and, and, and the rules. So to be able to actually bring, you know, sort of experts together, talking with the acquirers, now obviously having the, the, the merchant side, um, it's allowed us to make some really good recommendations over the years to actually refine the chargeback rules.
0: Um, hmm. which is is it the kind of thing where, you know, because you know every rule and, you know, the the letter of the rule, what they tell you you can't do, but you know from your own practical working background that, yeah, the letter of the rule might be over here, but practically you might be able to shift this and do that over here and you can help out the guy over there. Would it, it, would you know how the regulation game is played, does that make you a more effective advocate for a merchant or for a financial institution for trying to find a fair equitable way to, to make people whole again, who've been harmed.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, as I said, there are ways of, of circumventing some of the rules, um, right or wrongly, you know, if you're an issuer and you've got your customer screaming down the phone at you, you've got the regulators saying that you've got to give an immediate refund. The first thing you want to do is get that money back for your customer without necessary thinking about the merchant at the end of it. Um, one of the things that you know, I've really been advocating more, especially around the, the COVID problems, is issuers need to challenge their customers a bit more, just as much as an acquirer needs to listen to their merchants. Um, because you do get unscrupulous customers and you do get unscrupulous merchants. In terms of the actual rules, if people played by the rules properly um, and put the right tools in place, um, you know, sort of uh, fraud filters and and going down the 3D secure route and everything, then it would clean up the whole act. Um, And you wouldn't end up with maybe a customer being out of pocket when they really should have their money, or vice versa, where a merchant gets hit with a chargeback and doesn't really have the chance to defend it. So, that's what me and, and the team and that—that's always been our ultimate um, goal. I, I want the utopia, um, you know, with chargeback processing. Well, hey, you only want utopia—that should be attainable. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we get
1: there. We get there.
0: <laughs> little <laughs> by little, we're we're building our utopian world. I love it. Yeah. For it for happens. COVID, yeah. you, you mentioned you mentioned COVID, and I, I kind of find that there are two. Two dominant trains of thought when it comes to to what the world will be like, you know, when when hopefully COVID will we move on to 2022, 2023. One point of view is that, you know, we're going to, everyone will get injected, we're going to have herd immunity one way or another, and then life will go back to normal. And then you have other people telling you yeah, life will never get back to normal. There's been a fundamental shift in how we shop, how we communicate and how we interact with each other. And even after everyone got jabbed with a needle and, and uh, got uh, immunity, um, people are going to be relying on electronic uh, payments. People are going to um, there. You have you've had a gigantic behavioral shift in a large population group i.e. the entire planet and you're not going to recover from that the way you would you know like shaking off a, a bad flu you know it'll linger with you and it'll become a permanent part of of the human ethos and with that new reality if, if that would be true how how can how can a merchant prepare how how can a bank prepare how how do you how do you navigate a future where you know you're you're toiling with ambiguity
1: I mean, that's a really good question. Does anybody really know the answer to that at the moment? I mean, me personally, I will never go into a supermarket again. Um, I, it was a, when we first went into lockdown in the UK, um, I managed to get um, a home delivery slot, um, which was amazing. Um, the fact that I didn't have to go pushing a trolley around the supermarket, um, hmm. didn't have to spend ages going through the different aisles trying to find what I wanted. I just clicked it all online, it gets put to my front door. Um, but again, in doing that, and where a lot of people did go online, I think one of the things that happened with the merchants where they were trying to react so quickly, where they couldn't open their doors anymore and tried to sort of push stuff on online, they didn't really look at the complete picture in the sense that in doing that, they opened themselves up to more chargebacks um, because everything now was sort of coming down the e-commerce route, everything was going online. Um, We had a lot of issues, I think, where there was real delays in, in delivery of items because obviously everyone was trying to get things delivered, but you had the postal service that wasn't working properly. So I think everyone's learned a lot of valuable lessons. I think a lot of companies will strengthen up around their online um, services because a lot of them actually did much better um, by going online than than just having a door, you know, with the the face-to-face. But it's understanding what they were opening themselves up to rather than the initial panic of, you know, keep wanting to get sales, keep wanting to get money in. They didn't actually think about the logistics of, okay, so they can they can post all um, goods out, but they didn't actually think about the postal service um, or, you know, Yodel and, and DPD and that, that were struggling themselves with people off with COVID. They didn't have the drivers. And then of course the customer was going straight to their bank, demanding their money. They were getting a refund, but then a couple of weeks later, the goods were then being delivered. Um, so, you know, merchants, they reacted very quick, but I don't think a lot of them thought long-term in what it might then mean to them. And this is where I think again, where the acquirers maybe could have been a bit more helpful um, and had more conversations with merchants, let them know what they potentially could be let themselves open for. And then it goes back to the issuers as well. The issuers should have done hopefully a bit more with the customer. Um, Bearing in mind that everyone potentially was having to work from home. Um, I think the issuers could have done a bit more with the customers, explaining to them that there probably would be delays. Um, and, you know, and really would they wait a couple more weeks before the chargeback being raised? So everybody started to panic. I think that was the problem. Everyone was panicking. Those that lost their jobs and obviously, you know, was trying to get money back. So where they had ordered things, they were then trying to, you know, get that money back. So um, It's been tough, I think, all round. I don't think the world will go back to complete normality. Um, I think there will be much more a sense of understanding everyone, everyone's needs, I think. Um, everybody, I think, was different when it comes to the COVID. Um, I mean, I, I live on my own anyway, so being in lockdown, um, I, I didn't find that difficult at all. In fact, I thoroughly enjoyed it, if I'm honest. i spent got spent more time with the dog, um, <laughs> and, I've got, and, I've got, and I've got a horse as well, so it meant I could actually do him in daylight rather than not getting down there till sort of 8 o'clock at night in the dark. Um, but then you've got a lot of other people um, who found it very, very difficult, you know, not being able to interact and and see people and meet with people um, and have that normal sort of interaction. And I think the same has happened with customers and and merchants. So I think that the merchants and the customers, they need to get their relationships back. and start understanding each other's needs more rather than just focusing on themselves in their own nuclear um, and what they needed at that time. It's understanding what everybody potentially needed um, and went through.
0: And for for the behavioral shift and people under pressure and panicking and, and you know, everything, everything that happened in, in, our, in our new reality, uh, do, do you feel that the impact that it had on, on the banking world and, and chargebacks and management, do you feel like we're being pushed further away from that utopian ideal that you've been working for? Or do you feel kind of like... You know, we're going through a growing pain right now, and and we're evolving. We're a caterpillar. Eventually, we'll become the butterfly. Um, you know, it, it's kind of dirty when you when you take a peek. You know, within the cocoon, kind of creepy. Uh, but you know, you you can't you can't make an omelet without breaking an egg or two. And and ultimately, we can't have a utopian banking reality uh, without really. Living through the pain and and the torment and the and the unfair chargeback management that that a lot of a lot of merchants are really they're ripping their hair out over.
1: Yeah, no, I think whilst it's been extremely pain, painful, that they do say no pain, no gain, um, and I think that all areas within the, the the chargeback ethos will will actually improve because of what we've had to, everyone's had to go through. Um, I think there would be much more empathy, if that's the right word, um, in terms of, of everybody in in the whole um, chain of a chargeback. Um, so it's been extremely tough for you know consumers and merchants alike, um, and the financial institutions. You know, suddenly trying to have a chargeback department working from home, um, you know, they found that was difficult as well for the banks. Um, And even telephony, you know, having operators working out of their bedrooms, um, it's been a crazy time. But I think that going through all this, there has been so many lessons that have been learnt that it actually will make for um, a better, cleaner um, and more productive way of the whole chargeback rules and and, and regs and, and understanding them Better for everybody.
0: Hmm. You, you mentioned empathy. Do, do you feel that? Do you feel that compassion might be more of a driving metric uh, than maybe in in the pre-COVID world?
1: I would like to think so. Um, you know, there's always been such a focus. I think, and, and often too much focus on the consumer um and it's certainly in the, the uk you know you you've got sort of like witch and and um the, the trade standards office and, and and all that type of thing they're very much geared up towards the consumer and not the merchant um and i think that this has widened people's horizons and eyes and they've listened more to see that you know there's a lot of pain points that merchants have really gone through um, and it isn't just the customer um, that suffers.
0: And and if I'm a merchant and I'm in pain, I, I can turn to you and you'll take care of me. Your team, uh, your knowledge, your background, everything you've learned and endured and overcame. I get to I get to benefit from all that, right? Absolutely. Yep.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm lucky in the sense of I've. Worked very much in the issuing side, the acquiring side, and the merchant side. So I can see the whole holistic view of all the pain points from everyone's perspective, um, which is from the totality important. of it. Yeah.
0: Now, before we wrap up everything. I, I, I got to go back to the goldfish because I, I, I know that you I don't want to say you graduated from a goldfish. That would be unkind to goldfish and I don't need the goldfish lobby coming after me. All right. I mm-hmm. I, I don't want that. Uh, but you've gone from a goldfish to a dog. And what do you have? You have a pony or, or, or
1: a horse? What? what? Yeah, I mean, I've you're, got... you're... <laughs> I have a horse now as well. Yeah. So um, he's um, such a character, though. I mean, a, a, a real character. Um, he He's my escapism, um, my absolute escapism, Um, and luckily he's actually better behaved than what the the dog is actually, so.
0: (laughs) Do you you ride the, do you,
1: what's the name of the horse? Uh, So his name is um, Rocky, Rocky, which gets shortened to rocks, but his actual proper passported name is Ellis Prince Charming. So wow. I finally got my Prince Charming after all these years. <laughs>
0: well, you, you are a queen. You should have your Prince Charming, right? I mean, it'd be like
1: my royal fiat. Yes, yes. Um, but no, it's lovely because where I live, it's very much out in the country. Um, I get to ride along the seawall um, and on the beach Um, and all through the like the tracks and we've got sort of uh, quite a lot of wooded area around here as well so yeah it's lovely that is my escapism Um, and to be fair normally that's where I come up with normally the best of my ideas when I'm actually out riding.
0: (laughs) When when you're well you know I'm in America and when we imagine people in Europe we all figure you're riding a pony and battling a dragon you know everything. Things around the way it was in 1455, uh, but but uh, when, when you're when you're riding you're, when you're riding Rocky, um, do, do you ever do you ever let your mind wander to you know to to reimagining you know being at night in your car and your goldfish on the on the in the car seat next to you and 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 thinking about you know what a what a wild ride you had.
1: To be honest, no. I think I'm very much one of these people that I never look back. So what's done's done. Um, hopefully if I can learn a lesson from it, all well and good, um, but I never dwell on the past. Um, so I'm an example. Um, if I have an argument, um, as long as I've said what I wanted to say, I never go back on it ever. I would never go back to it. Um, and sometimes um, I suppose I get frustrated um, that other people, um, carry on something for far too long. Um, And and I can't understand why they're still cross with me when as far as I'm concerned, you know, I've said what I had to say, and we just move on, so. So in answer to your question, no, I don't never really think back on those times. Um, I think they made me who I am today. Um, They certainly shaped um, a lot of my decisions later on in life. Um, So, no, I'm not one to look back. I prefer to look forward, although I did mention before, I'm not that great with change. Um, And (laughs) everyone will tell you that.
0: (laughs) Well, I I definitely appreciate you taking a tiny peek uh, back in time and, and, uh, and sharing you know a, a big part of your journey um i i, I know that you're you're more introvert than, than extrovert and and i'm i'm really grateful and really appreciative that uh you took the time to share and and i hope that there are a lot of people who'll be tuning in and maybe they're going through a difficult time maybe be, maybe they feel out of place I mean you know you, you mentioned when you began not only were you a, a young girl going through a tough time but if you're looking for a role model that you know you could relate to directly in, in a gender kind of way um, there were the women in a leadership role at a time and and you know in in the three decade run to, to where we are right now and and you know a brand new decade and Boy, I I really hope and I really feel a lot of people will be inspired by what you went through. And hopefully, the next generation of fintech uh, wonderkins will be, you know, will be, will be riding our wake. And uh, and they'll be looking back and go, you know what? We owe it all to the chart back queen.
1: <laughs> well, they, they need to, to get off.
0: By the way, my off- dog's. My dog snoring in the background. I'm trying to kick his leg to get him to, to go. I, I don't want you to think that it's my body making that, uh, that noise, that okay. low vibration. I got wow. a sleeping dog on the floor. I figured with your dog, I should bring my dog up here too. And you know, they could do a little canine camaraderie, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, but Tracy, thank you very much for coming. We, we really appreciate it. And, uh, and, uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to Thought Leadership and the Fintech Revolution. We hope you enjoyed our trek down the Fintech wormhole. We'll be back in one month and maybe even before that. Now, go make money, everybody.